Hello, this is Lily Nichols, and today we'll be mapping breast milk on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-minute matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important for us coaches and clinicians because it not only causes us to stop and assess, but it reminds us of three very important factors in our care recommendations and outcomes. That's everything is connected. We are all unique and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with Lily Nichols. Lily Nichols is a registered dietitian and nutritionist, certified diabetes educator, researcher, and author with a passion for evidence-based prenatal nutrition. Her work is known for being research-focused, thorough, and unapologetically critical of outdated dietary guidelines. She's the author of two best-selling books, Real Food for Pregnancy and Real Food for Gestational Diabetes. You're going to love this episode on one of nature's most nutrient-rich foods, and that's breast milk, of course. So let's get started. Lily, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk about breast milk and particularly to talk to you about breast milk. Breastfeeding is one of the antecedents that we're always, hopefully, fingers crossed, collecting in a functional nutrition intake. And it's so important for setting the stage for optimal health. But why? Can you help us define what's so great about breast milk? I mean, <laughs> take, take your pick of so many things. Um, you know, it is innately the the way that mammals have, from the beginning of time, fed their young. It's only been until relatively recently in the past 100 or so, maybe 150 years, I'd have to go back to the exact date, um, that we've had an alternative to human milk. So it is designed for baby, um, produced by mom, and it is in response to so many different inputs from the baby itself. I mean, down to the antibodies that the mom passes through her milk are in response to the different pathogens or things that might be in the baby's saliva that's absorbed into the mammary gland from the nipple while the baby's nursing. So there's just it's a it's a dynamic ever shifting food. Yeah, I love that. And if we break down that food, there's so much good fat and fat soluble vitamins and omegas. Anything about the makeup of breast milk from that particular nutrient perspective that you can share? So breast milk varies person to person, it varies mammal to mammal, but there is a, a general breakdown of like fat, carbohydrates, and protein that tend to be fairly consistent 
in most people's milk, the most variable macronutrient would be uh, the fat. And that can be related to a mother's intake, a mother's fat stores, or even what is actually produced by the mammary gland. So it's pretty interesting how that's always in flux. One of the cool things, though, that formula companies have yet to figure out is how to mimic a certain type of carbohydrate that's found in breast milk called human milk oligosaccharides or HMOs. And those are indigestible by the infant, but they feed the microbiome Mm. of the infant. And that's something that has just been revealed or more thoroughly explored in the literature in, in the past decade or so. It's really fascinating. And when we look at the center of the functional nutrition matrix, sort of the soup, you already talked about immunoglobins, you're talking about the microbiome. Does the breast milk actually help with forming the integrity of the gut wall? Absolutely, yes. So part of the role of those HMOs is to feed the gut. Um, And specifically, when you're looking at the first milk that comes in, which is colostrum, um, that's thought to sort of make like a coating, so to speak, on the newborn gut. um, And it really pushes that first stool um, out quite quickly, the the meconium that that babies are are born with and usually pass relatively quickly in the first couple days of life. Um, And they've shown that even introducing, you know, a single bottle of formula milk will shift the microbiome of a baby. I mean, it is really amazing how we kind of imprint and pass along the maternal microbiome to the infant, not only via breast milk, but also throughout pregnancy and and the birth process as well. But breast milk can also make up for some of the, you know, microbiome transfer that could have been disrupted, say, by antibiotics during pregnancy or during Mm -hmm. labor or a cesarean section where they're not passing through the vaginal canal. They've found in some research that breast milk can actually offset some of the less than ideal consequences that can happen to the infant gut. So it's, it's pretty, pretty dynamic stuff. Yeah, my mind is racing with so many questions. We're talking about all the positive things that can pass from mama to baby with breast milk. But if we look at some of the environmental inputs, we now know we're also passing some not so good things to our babies with our breast milk. Can you talk into that a little bit? Yeah, it is uh, one of those taboo topics to talk about. Right. <laughs> kind of kind of right up there with the question I get a lot about boosting the nutrient levels in breast milk. Like, absolutely, there are a lot of different toxins that can pass through breast milk. It can be a bit alarming. I mean, I'm actually currently still nursing my one-year-old, so I'm absolutely, for the moms listening, uh, you know, I'm I'm in the throes of it, and you don't want to get too much in your head about, oh my god, I had a, I don't know, a tea while I was out, and it had a plastic lid, and that has BPA, and now there's going to be BPA in my breast milk. I mean, you can really get in your head on this, um, but from a strictly logical standpoint, taking the emotion out of it, there's a ton of research showing that a lot of different environmental toxins pass through breast milk. So I I think it definitely behooves us when we're thinking about anything fertility, pregnancy, breastfeeding, to be really conscious of those toxin inputs that we can control. Not all of them are within our control, but we can 
ceased to cook in nonstick pans. So we're not passing perfluorinated chemicals into our breast milk. We can choose to store leftovers in glass instead of plastic. We can choose not to microwave food in a plastic container or with plastic wrap or not microwave vegetables in a plastic bag. And then we're not heating and, and moving those plastic, you know, phthalates and other chemicals into the food and thus passing that into our breast milk, right? So any toxin inputs that are within our control, I really think is, is wise for breastfeeding mothers to have on their radar. And it's so important for us to understand that fat actually transports toxins more readily than other constituents and that the breast milk is filled with fats, which is a good thing. We have our choline, our vitamin A, our vitamin D, our omegas, and we are then passing some of those toxins off, but we shouldn't give up the good for the bad. So taboo subjects here, we're talking about the good, the bad in breast milk, again, mostly the good that idea that we could boost the nutrients in our breast milk. First of all, why is this a taboo subject? <laughs> I think the issue is twofold. So I think there is fear of making the breastfeeding mother question her milk. And as a breastfeeding mom, you know, I've breastfed two kids now. That's pretty much a given. You're always going to have questions. Am I making enough? Is baby okay? You know. Yes. Um, the second thing is that we also want to avoid complicating nutritional advice on breastfeeding. And so sometimes with the overwhelm that naturally accompanies new motherhood, just focusing on eating enough, you know, mm -hmm. is is priority number one. Um, unfortunately, though, I think that ignoring the fact that nutrients do transfer into breast milk ignores the micronutrient part of the conversation. I mean, even if you're not eating super well and you're not super well nourished, you will be making good milk for your baby. Mm -hmm. However, we have a lot of data showing that the micronutrient content of milk, so particularly the vitamins, but also some minerals, can vary based on maternal intake or maternal nutrient status. Mm -hmm. And we know from the NHANES survey of like the giant US survey on nutritional status, that 47% of pregnant or breastfeeding women are deficient in at least one micronutrient. And that study only looked at eight nutrients, okay? So if you throw in choline or something into the mix, you're gonna have almost 100% having some sort of micronutrient deficiency. So I think we need to sort of balance our coddling maybe of new mothers right. and encouragement of new mothers and absolutely promoting lactation consultants and early support and postpartum recovery and all that with also looking at it as sort of a two birds with one stone situation. I mean, we want mothers to not finish pregnancy and finish, you know, breastfeeding super nutrient depleted. We want them to have adequate nutrients for them to maintain their mental health and their physical health and maintain their fertility. Should they go on to have more children? And if we're not nourishing mother, well, those things are going to fall by the wayside. But also the levels of certain micronutrients in the milk could also be affected. And I think this is a, a worthwhile conversation. Um, you know, one that comes up often is vitamin B12. That's probably one of the micronutrients we have the most data on, actually, where if you're deficient in vitamin B12, your breast milk is also deficient in vitamin B12. Mm -hmm. And once babies use up whatever stores they had um, from in utero, which is usually in the four to six month range in life, 
then they can actually have irreversible neurological damage. And that happens in 50% of infants who are in a situation of vitamin B12 deficiency. That's huge. So I, I do think like we have to be having nuanced conversations about it rather than just saying like, eh, it's a non-issue. Your milk is always good enough. You know, it's like, of course your milk is good enough. We can make sure it is nutrient replete by keeping you nourished. Such an important point. We don't want to make moms feel less than, but it's worthy of a discussion where we can nourish mom in order to nourish baby. You mentioned B12. Are there any other things that mom should be thinking about taking into her system, either through her food and diet or supplementally that support the benefits of the breast milk? Absolutely. I mean, there's a whole slew of nutrients we could be talking about here. And, and overall, you know, a, a well-balanced omnivorous diet is probably going to provide most of them. But some of the things that um, are most commonly lacking in the maternal diet would be um, B12, which we just talked about, choline. So mm -hmm. choline is a B vitamin-like compound, um, and your choline needs are actually highest in lactation of any life stage. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're not somebody who consistently eats egg yolks, which are going to be your number one source, or liver, for example, which not many people eat much of, that might be something you consider uh, supplementing with. Um, I do think vitamin A is important to talk about because they've found that up to 60% of mothers have low retinol levels in their milk and supplementing with beta carotene does not offset this. It needs to be retinol. So either from animal fats or in supplemental form. So you could check your um, multivitamin or prenatal vitamin if you're taking it um, to make sure that it's not just beta carotene or that you have a dietary source. And then, uh, of course, DHA, a long chain omega-3 fat, really important for um, baby's brain development, also tends to be depleted after pregnancy. Um, so that would be your, you know, in your seafood products, but also um, if you're looking at supplementally a fish oil or a cod liver oil or something like that. And then uh, the last one I would highly recommend would be vitamin D. Um, vitamin D is a bit tricky because a, a lot of it depends on how much you're producing from the sun, which can vary by many, many, many different factors, um, particularly where you live and your latitude and the time of right. year. Um, but they have found that vitamin D um, does transfer into breast milk and maternal intake of about 6,400 IUs per day is adequate to maintain infant's vitamin D status and pass enough into their breast milk. So if you're not a regular sun-exposed person or you, if you live at a um, far north or far south latitude and thus you can't make vitamin D from the sun for a part of the year, that would definitely be a case for uh, supplementing. And that is something that you would need um, a, usually above and beyond a, a, another vitamin because most prenatals or multivitamins I've seen do not get up to 6,400 IUs of, of right. vitamin D. So that would be an additional one. So we're talking about boosting the nutrient status of the breast milk. What about boosting production of breast milk? Is that a fallacy? Are there herbs or things that we can be recommending to our clients and patients if they're in that place that you mentioned earlier, which is that worry that they're not producing enough? 
Yeah, so this this is an area that kind of delves into the lactation consultant, lactation educator side mm -hmm. of things as well, because so much of milk production is how often baby is at the breast and how efficiently they're removing milk from the breast, because it's a, it's a supply and demand situation. So number one thing would be getting baby on the breast consistently, often, and making sure they're actually transferring milk well. And that's something where that would be in the lactation educator sort of side of the coin. So particularly, you know, new moms work with them. They're very, very helpful, life-saving. As far as the food part, I mean, priority number one is just eating enough and drinking enough. And that right. can be really hard for new moms. I mean, our whole culture is not really set up in a way to support new motherhood and new mothers very well. So um, if you're sort of, and especially in COVID era, era, if you're in the throes of this and you, you don't have support around, that would be your number one focus, like get enough calories in. You need have higher energy and higher fluid needs while you're breastfeeding. Also higher electrolyte needs mm -hmm. as well. So this is not a time to skimp on salt and to skimp on electrolytes. So make sure that you have those bases covered. If all of that's covered, baby's latching well at the breast often, you've worked out all the kinks with a lactation consultant, and then there are extra things that you could try. They're called galactagogues or things that can boost milk production. There's a variety of herbs out there and that'll vary based on the culture or tradition that you're looking at, but like fenugreek is a common one. Even chamomile, which is surprising to a lot of people, is a mm -hmm. galactagogue. There are certain foods like oatmeal, B vitamin rich foods like brewer's yeast. Uh, personally, you know, I think galactagogues have their place and I think they are always in addition to all of the other things that I mentioned, they are not a requirement. The first things I talked about are a requirement. Galactagogues right. are an add on if you need them and they vary in efficacy and I think they vary person to person. And it's as a breastfeeding mom, it's, it's tricky to get a gauge on how much milk you're producing if you're not pumping often. And then if you're pumping, the pumping output is not as good as what baby gets. Babies are far more efficient at removing milk from the breast than the pump. And so it's really tricky to like, unless you're doing a pre and post weight feed of your baby at every single feed, which is just neurotic, <laughs> it's hard to get a gauge on your milk production. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, at a certain point, you have to just trust, trust that yes. if you're getting enough wet and poopy diapers and baby is gaining weight and hitting milestones you're good, right? Yeah. These yeah. are the nuances that you work out with a lactation consultant. Lily, there's so much wisdom that you just shared with us. And I'm wondering if we can end with a little love in the form of oxytocin. I know the breast milk isn't carrying the oxytocin, but is there anything in the transference of the milk that would lead us back to those hormones and neurohormones that mama and baby are generating through this connection? Oh, I, I mean, I certainly think so. I, I'm not sure on the oxytocin and whether or not it transfers. We know a lot of different maternal hormones do transfer, like melatonin, for example, mm. um, which might explain why babies get so sleep drunk at the breast and it helps settle them at night so well. But absolutely, there's there's this really innate bond between mother and baby. I mean, the distance of baby at the breast from the mother's face, that's about the distance that a newborn 
can see. So there's mm. definitely a bond that goes far beyond the nutritional aspects of, of breastfeeding that's worthy of a conversation um, all on its own. And even for people who are not feeding at the breast, uh, maybe they're bottle feeding, whether it's pumped breast milk or formula, if you keep that baby you know, close to you, you're still keeping that connection, letting them make that eye contact and read your lips and, and all of that. It's huge. Mm, so beautiful. Lily, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. It was really rich, like that breast milk, and I really appreciate spending the time with you. Thanks for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode by email, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Please feel free to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com.